Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about battlegrounds. John's looked at Gideon, and then he looked at the invisible army. And then last week, David facing Goliath. I love that story. And I love how indignant David gets. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I love that when he says that. I've always liked that sort of response, you know. He hears that mocking of the giant and towards God and his people. He's, he's like, let's do it. And, uh, and it's so well known and taught, you know, to children. Um, you, you know, it's one of those things that... We don't really, we think, we've, we think we know it, don't we? Because we've known it from being a child. But we, we always get something new whenever we read or hear it. So it's really good to go over all those old favourites, the ones that we think we really know, the ones that we learn as children. Because there's always something new to pick up. You know, when there's always a fresh lesson to unlock, isn't there? I think it's wonderful. But this week I'm, um, I'm going to talk about a man called, a king called Jehoshaphat, okay? He's in the Old Testament, a Judean king, and his story is found in two chronicles. And if you've ever read through one and two chronicles, you'll find that it's just this great long list of kings of Israel and Judah and whether they did good or evil in the sight of God. And, you know, at this point, when Jehoshaphat comes onto the scene, Israel has been split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Because after Solomon's death, his son Rehoboam, I've been practicing these names, alienates his supporters and ends up just king of Judah. Okay, and that's to the south. And that included Jerusalem. So the country is split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah to the south, and Chronicles just carries on, continues to talk about kings of both of those areas and how they interacted with each other and, um, and whether they did right in the sight of God. The wars, the prophets, the marriages, the alliances they made, and this whole thing, this whole merry-go-round continues right up until the people are taken into exile into Babylon. And there's a lot of this sort of coming back to God, going away from God, idol worship, evil in the sight of God, good in the sight of God, coming back to God. It's, there's a lot of this backwards and forwards, okay? And, um, and Jehoshaphat comes, becomes the king um, of Judah around halfway uh, into the time of King Ahab in Israel. Now, if you've ever heard of King Ahab, he was an evil person. He was married to the lovely Jezebel, who, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're used as a word to talk about a horrible woman, you know, people, then she must have been evil, mustn't she? Because we, we say, oh, that Jezebel, or whatever, don't we? Well, we hear that. I don't call anybody Jezebel. But, um, but yeah, she was, she was really evil. She went after the prophets of God and hunted them down. Um, but, but Jehoshaphat, it says he did right in the sight of God, okay? After something like 13 kings before him who didn't, he did. He trusted God and tore down all the high places of idol worship. And he sent out teachers throughout the land to go and teach the people about who God is. That's wonderful. You don't hear of that. And it says 
he sent out teachers throughout the land to teach the people about God and his commandments. And look what happens as a result. So we're going to just look at 2 Chronicles 17, 9 to 12. And they taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went about through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver for tribute. And the Arabians also brought him 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. And Jehoshaphat grew steadily greater. He built in Judah fortresses and store cities. Now that's quite amazing because what happened was he he sent out all these teachers, taught the people in the land, and then the people surrounding them were afraid. He didn't say that they'd done anything to them or anything like that, just said that they were afraid because they were in unity following God. And so at first... Jehoshaphat, Judah was at peace. And, um, you know, and they got all these rams and goats. It's not a small gift, is it, really? Who'd like 15,400 rams and goats? Um, The surrounding people were so afraid of his relationship that they made, relationship with God, that they made no war against him. But somewhere along the line, something changed. And Jehoshaphat made the most stupid decision to align himself with Ahab, the evil king. Who knows, it's not great to have unequal partnerships in that sort of sense. Ahab was the most notoriously evil king of Israel and obviously married to Jezebel, the evilest queen Israel had ever seen. And so this wasn't just an agreement to live in peace. He actually aligned himself. They bonded themselves together by marrying off his son and Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. So it was much more than an alliance. But it took Jehoshaphat right out of the will of God. And then, guess what? No more peace. There was war. So it doesn't work, does it, to to form alliances that are unfit for us it just doesn't work whenever there's a bond or covenant between the godly and the ungodly it's a compromise and that can cause huge issues it gives the enemy an in and you know it can cause huge issues whether it's in a person or a family or a nation and for Jehoshaphat who'd been described as walking in the ways of his father King David a man after God's own heart, it meant the end of his peaceful reign, his peaceful country. And other nations were not afraid of them anymore. So that first war, you know, this this first war that came spelled the end of the road for Ahab. Um, he He was killed in that war. He actually disguised himself to make himself not look like the king so that Jehoshaphat would get killed instead. But then he got killed. Jehoshaphat, they ignored him. Um, but Jehoshaphat, instead of making an alliance with, you know, an evil king, he went straight back to God. Um, let's read the first part of that. So that's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 to 13. 
After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Maonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend and they lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name saying if disaster comes upon us the sword judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save and now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So there'd been one war with Ahab, he'd gone, and then this time all these people had come to invade them, and this time he went and aligned himself with God. And I love that the people also followed Jehoshaphat's example. When he sought the Lord, they did. And the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. So in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 4, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So look at those weapons that Jehoshaphat used in his battleground What were the first three things he did when he heard these armies were coming against him? So number one, he set his face to seek the Lord. And what does that mean, though? I mean, we say it all the time, don't we? We talk, I'm going to seek the Lord, seek the Lord first. And, you know, what does it mean we can't actually go you know, on a journey physically to find him, can we? But spiritually we can. And I sort of nearly skipped on past that when I thought, actually, if I was talking to somebody outside the church and said, I'm going to seek the Lord, they'd think I'd lost my actual mind, wouldn't they, really? They'd think I would, like, what are you on about? And sometimes we we hear those sayings and we're used to them so much that we don't fully study what it means to actually seek the Lord. It's not just praying, is it? I mean, when we talk to the Lord, we're praying. But, you know, if it was, then it'd just say he prayed. It said he set his face to seek the Lord, and then he prayed. 
When people seek the Lord or seek the Lord's face, they're needing his wisdom. They're asking for his wisdom. They're searching for his presence. They're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal his heart about something. They're searching the word for how he deals with certain issues. If it's healing, does he turn anyone away? No, I've searched. You know, if it's relationships, how does he want to react to others? With love, always. Um, If it's financial, how does he want us to respond in our situation? He wants us to be generous. These are issues that, you know, he commands us to ask him about. He doesn't just say, you know, find it out for yourself. He says, come and ask me. You know, we search the Bible for confirmation. A word from, from him, a word from God through another source, whether it's a person or in your conscience or some kind of sign, it will never contradict his word. Never. And that's how you know. And God is always good. If it's not good, it's not over. So, yes, prayer is a part of seeking God, but it's not the entire thing. It it includes the whole lot. Worship, prayer, reading the word, speaking to others about how God helped them, listening, crying out if you need to. It's realizing that God is good and he never leaves us. It's finding out who God is. It's, you know, it might be fasting, whether it's food, TV, social media, just to get together with God, putting him first. That's seeking God. Ask for wisdom. You know, he promises in his word that he give that when we ask for it. And I stand on that promise. And I don't walk around thinking that I'm like wise or anything like that. I'm not. But I know that without a shadow of a doubt, if I ask God for wisdom for a certain thing, he'll give it me at the exact time that I need it. Not before, because then I might think it's me, but he'll give it me at that point. And then I'll walk away amazed and praising him. And then he gets the glory. And then the next thing Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehoshaphat did was, um, this number two, he proclaimed a fast. And what's the purpose of fasting? It's not a hunger strike you know, to get God to do something for you. It's, it's more about submitting yourself to God. It's humbling yourself before him. Jehoshaphat declared a fast. Can you imagine what that was like? A whole nation coming together and submitting themselves to God. Amazing. And then number three, after seeking and fasting, that's when he prayed. And he prayed publicly. And, and, and in his prayer... He reminded God of the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple and the agreement that if they submitted to God, he would save his people. And, you know, remember, they'd just fasted and come to God as a nation, so he knew exactly what he was asking. And he humbly admitted God knew best, and they were submitted to his will. He said in his prayer, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. So he didn't come in front of the people going, we shall ask God. You know, like, he didn't do it like that. He was like, we don't know what to do. God, help. He was humble. And that was just the groundwork. The spiritual battle had begun, but the battle out there 
Remember all these people amassing against them. It had not even started. And they knew it was coming. Three nations assembled to annihilate Judah and take the territory for themselves. These were nations that Jehoshaphat had never thought would come against them. He'd been completely blindsided by it. And, you know, he knew that as big as his own army was, they were weakened by the last battle, the battle that he shouldn't have had anything to do with. You know, it was three against one. And, um, you know, he knew that they didn't have that physical capability this time and the strength to win it. So after Jehoshaphat's prayer in front of the whole assembly, the Lord spoke through a prophet by the name of Jehaziel, who was part of a company of worshippers called the sons of Asaph, who worshipped and played instruments around the Ark of the Covenant, like 24-7, the place where God's presence dwelt. And so verse 14 to 19 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. I love it when he says it twice. Um, Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So God gives them instructions. They must go, but they won't need to fight. God's got this. All he asks them to do is go, stand firm, and don't be afraid. And so what did they do with this information? They worshipped. There was no question whether they believed it or not. They believed it. They knew God had it covered, and they praised him, and they praised him loudly. And look what happens next in verse 20. uh, Sorry, 20. Chapter 20, verse 21. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. So Jehoshaphat, he did three things before this earthly battle. He charged them, he charged the army to believe in God and in his prophets. And then he consulted with the people 
And then he appointed singers to the Lord to sing and praise God going before the army as they marched forward. And they marched forward to the place that they were told to go to. This must have been in the will of God because look what happens next. So in verse 22 to 25, when they started to sing and praise, this is what happens. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were rooted. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. They all just turned on one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, they were just like dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. They didn't have to lift a finger only to lift up all the goods. Okay? And as, and as I've been researching, and just to be clear, um, we don't really know for certain on this. It's just a hunch. But there's no other explanation for that initial ambush other than the Lord's army. Maybe that one that was the invisible one that was around, you know, when Elisha and his servant were there and they said, he said, look, open his eyes. Because there was no other army mentioned. Who ambushed them? Because it wasn't Jehoshaphat's army. No other army has been mentioned. Judah had not got there yet. And the result of that ambush was so much confusion that the other two armies just wiped each other out. So on the fourth day, this is verse 26, on the fourth day they assembled on the valley of Berakar, for there they Bless the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Val- Valley of Berakah for this day. To this day, Berakah means blessing. So they were in the Valley of Blessing. Jehoshaphat, after leaving the will of God and aligning himself to Ahab, had reconnected with God in prayer, thanksgiving, and worship, and he found himself in the Valley of Blessing not having to fight, and now prosperous again, living in peace until the end of his reign. And verse 27 says this to 30. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord, and fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all round. So our weapons are not earthly, are they? We don't need to fight. Jesus did all the work on the cross, and that's what he came to do. He came to fight for us. And I love this verse It reminds me of this. I love this verse in Isaiah 63. Who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Bosra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength? It is I, the Lord, 
announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. And I just see in that verse, I just see Jesus marching ahead going, don't worry, I'm fighting for you. You are fine. I've done it. I love it. He's like a hero. Well, he is our hero, isn't he? A real, true, perfect hero. Not, not the, the one from Shrek like that, you know. Not him. He's not a hero. He's a pretender. But Jesus, he's our hero. He just marches ahead and he's done it. And we're safe. And worship is our weapon, isn't it? If you look at that, worship was the weapon. They sent out the singers first. You know, and, and, you know and, and when you look at, you know, what's just happened this last week, the most powerful thing when we saw with the Queen's funeral procession was all the music and the marching, and it was quite powerful, wasn't it? And, you know, it's, worship is our weapon. When we sing or speak out the word, it's our sword. We just need to seek God, believe, stand firm in our faith, and worship is the outworking of our faith, isn't it? It's our, our big hug, our love to God. And, you know, before when, and it's been mentioned already, Doreen mentioned about God inhabiting the praises of his people. And I think that's what happened. That's why they were ambushed, that army. Because they sent out the singers and they worshipped and God came down and they were ambushed and they weren't allowed to come and destroy Jehoshaphat and Judah. As we lift Jesus as our banner in our worship, our enemies are scattered. The assignment against us is destroyed when we believe what God says about us. The nasty or negative words of people have lost their power. Remember who you are. You are children of the living God sons and daughters of the risen Christ what can man do to us really so the testimony of our God draws others to him and death doesn't have its sting he's done it and the battle is the Lord so let's pray Father God we just we thank you Father that you are out there in front of us and you've got it all covered we thank you God that you are in us and around us and near us and we just worship you help us father god to just lift you up daily father to your rightful place i thank you father god that no weapon formed against us can prosper so we just um we just thank you for your your blessing towards us we ask that we would live in that valley of blessing father as we lift you up in jesus name